Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. In just a moment, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com will join me. We will break down Florida's big win at Rupp Arena. Uh, Only the 11th time in program history that the Gators have emerged victorious at Rupp. Uh, We'll talk about how it happened and the continued stardom, uh, star turn of Trey Mann, uh, whose play has elevated uh, the Gators of late. We will also break down Florida's upcoming home contest against Missouri, what would traditionally be senior night, but with no seniors, is simply the last game that Florida will play at home this year. Uh, Obviously, Quanzo Martin has Missouri playing pretty well this season, so another chance for Florida to pad their NCAA resume. Uh, We'll break it all down for you in just a moment. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings that you've recently dropped and the reviews at Apple. We really appreciate them. They certainly help the show. They help us get sponsors. And uh, we're all both very grateful to all of you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour, the first episode of Florida Basketball Hour after a Florida victory at Rupp Arena. Eric, uh, good one today. Yeah, really good one. Uh, I I mean, this one was so satisfying because for so long, well, ever since, you know, the roster was kind of constructed for this season, uh, I was kind of thinking that this team was going to be different because they had shot makers. Uh, Trey Mann and and Tyree Appleby were two guys that I thought – we're going to be able to hit shots in a way that uh, Florida just hadn't really had on the roster for a, for a number of years, really, like not even the last couple, for a number of years. And, uh, of course, we've seen that um, for, for different stretches this season. But uh, when that shot making, when you really want it to come through, it's usually at the end of the games where, where defense is tightened up. It's tough to get to the rim. And if you get there, the refs, the refs might swallow their whistle. So uh, that's where guys who can make shots are just so, so valuable. And uh, I, I think I was just really waiting for for a game like this where it was really tight and Florida won because Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby hit more shots than the best shot makers on the other team. And that just made uh, made the ending to this one feel pretty good. Yeah, early shout out to Seth Kegley, one of our uh, longtime listener, listeners who who left us a nice review on uh, on uh, Apple, and also pointed out that you know it kind of felt like a March basketball game in that respect because oftentimes, like deeper into March, the team with the better guards that can create and make shots and make plays is going to win, and and Florida uh, was certainly able to do that as you referenced. I mean, it's it, it's true because uh, because once again, I I think you see this at pretty much all levels of basketball. Just uh, ev- everyone tightens up defensively in, in those final minutes, and then it just it becomes tougher to to get to the rim. And and again, like uh, uh, refs are going to be far less likely to call a ticky tack foul at the rim. So so again, it just a- everything becomes tougher uh, on the inside when it comes to to the end of big games, particularly in March. So you just you've just got to be able to hit shots and. Um, uh, for Florida to, to once again be able to do that. And um, and then, uh, yeah, just uh, to have more shot-making than Kentucky feels uh, feels pretty good for sure. Yeah, no question. Uh, it was a very good college basketball game, I thought, Eric, um, as did Mike White, as did John Calipari. Uh, they know more about this stuff than I do, but I thought it was a fun competitive game to watch. Uh, like I said, it, it felt a little bit like a March basketball game, which is kind of cool because March is in a couple days. Uh, but this is February, and – um, it still was a game that came down to a few possessions, which early on it didn't necessarily look like it was going to. Kentucky barnstormed out uh, to a big early lead. Uh, 
Florida was playing man defense and really getting worked in uh, switches quite a bit. Kentucky was kind of getting what they wanted. Um, and, you know, Florida wasn't doing a lot, I thought, offensively to put much pressure on Kentucky either. Uh, so uh, Kentucky led by uh, 10 points early on, Eric. Yeah, well, I, I, again, you could tell pretty quick that, that Florida was going to have have some trouble guarding some guys off the dribble. Um, lot, probably, yeah, lo- lots of interesting defensive notes on, on this one. I think we'll have to uh, have to get to, but uh, definitely, I uh, definitely had some trouble at first, and then uh, again, just some of the uh, some of the offensive kind of play calling at first. I mean, there was some some of course moments of of Noah Locke running pick and rolls. There was moments of posting up Osayo Sifo just. Uh, uh, just some some possessions that you might have just maybe thought were were not destined for for success from the start, um, but uh, uh, of course Florida just kind of kind of hung with it hung with it enough. I mean to to get it uh, where it was at half was 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 pretty impressive. But uh, there was definitely those times in the first first quarter when I wasn't sure if if Florida was going to be able to rebound. I wasn't sure if Florida was going to be able to get a stop, which was ultimately the one of the big reasons they lost in the first game. And um, I don't I didn't know if they were going to be able to <laughs> to score enough. Out Outside of uh, outside of some of that shot making, so so definitely uh, definitely a nervous start to this one. There, there's no question. Yeah, it was a nervous start, uh, and then um, you know Florida made a big adjustment. Mike White <clears throat> made a big adjustment. John Calipari said it was the difference in the game, um, but Florida switched to a three-two zone uh, with Kentucky up by ten points. Um, if you had watched Kentucky recently, you know that playing a little quicker had been a big key to, to their success. Even the score against Tennessee was a little deceptive because Kentucky was so far ahead that they kind of took the air out of the ball uh, in the second half. Um, and, you know, Florida just really, really disrupted uh, Kentucky. They, they forced turnovers. They forced bad shots. Uh, Kentucky goes three of 14 to finish the first half after Florida finished, uh, after Florida switched to zone. Um, and I thought, that the zone was solid, Eric. I thought Kentucky did some stuff that you want to do to it. They ran bigs to the free throw line, but they didn't cut real well off the ball. Uh, and then Florida did a nice job of, of closing passing lanes and disrupting them, even though they were in zone. You could see that at the end of the game. Kentucky had four assists early. They had three after Florida switched zone for the rest of the game. Um, and then, uh, so, so, you know, that was obviously a, a key reason that, that Florida was able to turn the tide. Yeah, I mean, I, I did not love the zone uh, truthfully for for much of it. Um, they did they did end up in, in improving their overall zone efficiency on the season, but uh, with, with especially in the second half when when Kentucky went cold. But again, I kind of think this was a bit of a a bit of a knuckleball. It was a little bit of a novelty defense. Like uh, I, I thought they gave up a lot of open shots, but I think that's what they were looking to do. They said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to take away the paint because we're struggling to guard straight line drives, and we'll we'll give up some wide open threes. So. I thought that Kentucky did all right to get some of those open threes. They just um, ultimately go four for 20 from the three-point line with with much of those being open from like Davion Mintz and, uh, and Devin Askew who just couldn't get it going. But uh, so again, I, I say that, you know, Florida, Florida, I think they, they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, I think they knew they were going to give up some, some open shots. Uh, I'm just definitely hesitant to, to think that because they had success in this game with the zone that they'll be able to do it against 
most other teams, quite frankly. But uh, uh, and again, I guess they they played through some of their mistakes, which has been one thing with with Mike White and, and Zone. Uh, so often these last few seasons, when Florida's tried to uh, tried to sit in a zone, they give one, they give up one open three, and, and White says, "Oh no, that like that's enough of that. We're going back to our man." And that's where you can just really tell that he hasn't been comfortable in the zone. When and you can tell this with any coach when they give up like one three pointer that's wide open in, in a zone, they say like, "Okay, that's that's it. We're scrapping it." Um, so that's when you can always tell a team is a team is uncomfortable and not confident in their zone. But but again, Florida gave up a lot of shots, gave up a bunch of offensive rebounds, and also gave up some some layups because of uh, the way that Kentucky was attacking, which I thought they did. They actually did quite well, quite well with. So, um, you know, Florida played through it and, and ultimately, uh, ultimately ended up working out, but I've got to say, I was, uh, I was pretty hesitant for the, for the first half there, um, at least until that, that run that you, uh, you mentioned at the end where, where Kentucky went cold. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm with you on not, I don't think it's, I don't think Florida found a new identity defensively or anything <laughs> or anything ridiculous. Um, but I thought that the zone worked. It worked today. I don't think that that's really that debatable, uh, at least, you know, statistically. Um, you know, I also thought when Kentucky adjusted to it, like run, they ran bigs to the free throw line, like I mentioned, and they tried to set flare screens behind that, whether it was for Mintz or Askew a couple times. And Florida did a really nice job of fighting through screens and running Davion Mintz off the line, making him a little more uncomfortable shooting the ball. They ran a nice little flare screen action for him once, and he pump faked and dribbled to his left because Florida chased the action well. Um, I thought, like, there were things that Florida did when Kentucky adjusted that were also good. Um, and, you know, then Kentucky, I think, also was a little tentative. Like you mentioned, a lot of open shots, but it was amazing how many times they'd get an open look and kind of, like, move the ball around or double clutch something. So, you know, that's a, usually a sign that a team is uncomfortable against the defense uh, because you got to step into those shots confidently when they're that open. And and Florida was uncomfortable at times, too. You mentioned posting up Osayo Sifo. They had a duck in for Osayo Sifo that was basically a dunk. And I think, you know, there's really no explanation for him bobbling the ball there other than being rattled by Kentucky's length. Uh Tyree Appleby passes up some open threes in the first half, I think, a couple of them, where you're like, oh, boy, maybe he's just worried about getting rejected or or what, or maybe he's just not comfortable off the catch, but that doesn't seem particularly likely. So it was interesting, cat and mouse, in that both teams seemed to bother each other with their defense at times in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I obviously love Tyree Appleby's uh kind of closing game. I thought he made some big plays. Uh, but yeah, there were some definitely rough moments with him turning the ball over and him passing up. It was kind of interesting. Like, again, like with Tyree Appleby, you can tell he's not someone who, like, like he drives to pass a lot of the time. And that's going to get you in trouble sometimes because teams are going to force him to, to try to finish. And he seems to just choose some, some interesting, um, I'll use the term interesting. I should probably use like weird or bad decision-making of like when to, when to take, when to take an open layup versus try to pass it out. Like there was times where I really thought he should have protected the ball and went up and, and, and went for a layup and he ended up trying to pass. And then there was times where I was certain he should have passed out. And then he went for a layup and got it pinned on the backboard. So I, I think for him, maybe I like to me, when I see a guard like that, like to me, that's, that's, that's film. Like that's, uh, of course, when you're driving, it can be, it can be tough, but uh, you've got to, you've got to watch a whole bunch of film to really know um, where, 
when help is coming from, if, if you've got that angle or not. So, so the, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some rough moments, um, some rough moments with that where, or Tyree Appleby, uh, yeah, turned the ball over. Uh, Trey Mann had another play too, where he got caught in the air, just kind of driving, not unsure about exactly what he was doing. So uh, yeah, definitely some, uh, <laughs> definitely some disruption on, on both sides defensively. Um, should we talk foul disparity a little? I mean, it was a little unusual. Obviously Mike White got a technical foul. Um, I think some of the technical was him being frustrated with his defense. Uh, I have to say, um, I'm not sure it was all about, you know, fouls. I also think maybe it was a little bit about the way that Trey Mann approached the layup that he missed. Um, you know, I don't think it all had to do with referees when, when Mike got the technical, but certainly 17 free throws to four in the first half, uh, you know, it's going to get certain people talking. I think um, my issue with the referees, really, if we want to get serious about it, Eric, was the second half more than the first. And I know listeners might be upset with that take, but I thought there were a couple moments in the second half which were bad. Like Teruji had a really nice drive, took contact, lost the ball, turnover, and then it almost seemed like a couple possessions later, like Jacob Toppin has a drive where he just loses the ball and. It's a foul, and then the call on the next possession was even worse where Kentucky just misses a dunk, and I guess because Anthony DeRuji was behind him and had blocked a dunk earlier, that became a foul. Um, so I didn't like – I didn't think it was particularly consistent on other sides. But your thoughts, I guess, on on the foul disparity and, and maybe on the white technical – well, I didn't. I didn't think anything about the referee, refereeing in the first half. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like someone tweeted it out when it was 17 to two, I think at the time. Maybe it was 17 to four. Um, but yeah, I think it was it might Chris been, But when someone tweet, tweeted out 15 to two or 72, and and I honestly like, I was like, oh, that that's news to me because I kind of thought the team that was getting shots at the rim and had the other team in rotation scrambling, they were the ones that were going to the free throw line. I mean, yes. uh, again, in that first half, like. Florida couldn't get a stop was ro- was flying around the court because they were all out of rotation. Their zone was scrambled. So they're just all uh, they, you had big men closing out to shooters. You had Tyree Appleby switched on to five men battling underneath. Like, like that's how you, that's how you commit fouls. And then on the other side, um, I don't think, you know, Florida's like particularly poorly or anything, but Florida was not getting to the hoop and getting those shots that are um, usually going to draw fouls. So um, again, like this is one of my things where you always see like at every level of coaching um you always hear whenever there's any whenever the fouls aren't like the same there's always coaches screaming that there's some kind of foul disparity and it's always funny to me because like there should be foul disparity both teams are getting usually vastly different shots you you look at a game like this against Kentucky there's one team that's playing a matchup zone and there's one team playing man-to-man um there's very different personnel very different skill very different size very different athleticism all across the floor like there's nothing to suggest that the fouls should be tied or the free throw attempts should be tied. So I just always think it's hilarious when people suggest that that fouls or free throws should be similar, because I just think that should like very seldom be the case. Truthfully, there's usually a team that's taking a, a much higher percentage of shots on, on plays that, that sh- fouls are committed on. And I kind of thought that was the case. So again, I, there was, there was no point where in the first half where I was like, Oh, that's like uh that's that's an awful call on uh, that that the Gators got called on or like oh that you know I Florida should be shooting free throws here I I, I didn't see it um, but then yeah in the second half like you mentioned the Daruji phantom foul uh, that was pretty rough uh, there were some rough ones in the second so in the second I I started to to get a little salty but uh, but in the first half when it was 
with that free throw disparity, just I, I really thought nothing of it. I, I don't I don't think Florida got a bad whistle um, on it. Maybe if I watch it again, um, when I do that, maybe I'll I'll change my mind. But on first watch, uh, I kind of thought there was one team in Kentucky that was scrambling Florida defensively, getting the ball inside, and that's how you draw fouls. Get get the ball inside against a scramble defense. That's how you draw fouls. And uh, Kentucky was doing that a whole lot better than Florida was. But uh, the and then again, like the, the Trey Man missed layup to technical combo uh that's always interesting when like if, if memory serves you know the the Trey man layup was on the opposite hoop of where mike white was so he would have had like the absolute worst angle to look at that play like if you know like he back the back is both the back of both players is to, to mike white he he can't see anything in those kinds of scenarios from across the court so maybe he thought there was contact but truthfully he just had the worst angle to see it honestly the the broadcast angle on tv that was like the best angle to see it which is like you know the opposite corner of where white saw it from so so like maybe white thought there was contact there but uh, uh again that's not an angle to to really have a good view of that play so i kind of think it was like like you said maybe some frustration at some earlier fouls um maybe just being upset at his defense but uh hey maybe he's upset for i you know i talked about on the last podcast about how how trey man is so good at protecting the ball taking contact and finishing and then he does like literally the exact opposite of that holds the bar ball out as far as he can from his body and the moment he thinks contact is coming contorts and tries to finish at the same time which is just like the exact what you don't want to do when finishing in basketball. So, um, you you know, Trey Man's usually better than that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do think it was a couple of those things. But uh, uh, I was a little bit surprised to see the technicals. I'm like, man, if he's if he thinks that was a foul on Man, I think he's going to be uh, a bit embarrassed when he sees the replay. Yeah, I thought it was definitely an aggregate of a bunch of things, like deficit, because I'm with you. And Trey Man learned his lesson quickly with his finishing in the second half, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to. But but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only calls I thought I had, I guess I'm a little less emphatic about it than you are, Eric. I thought, like, I thought there was a rough call on Scotty Lewis in the first half, and I tweeted something about it. Um, you know, I thought it looked like a pretty clean block, but you you will get called for that sometimes from behind when the referee's not in position. Um, so, it, you know, it happens, and it was one where – Scotty, who tends to 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 make faces at every call anyway, uh, was a little more emphatic with his face and kind of bounced around like you don't normally see him do. Normally, you just get like a, a shocked face and maybe he throws his hands up. Uh, this one, he bounced up and down a couple times, seemed real surprised. And then there was a cylinder call very early in the game that mm. I thought um, I thought was pretty obvious and and was not called. And so I think maybe that and then. White has a bad angle. White's mad at the defense. White's mad that Florida's fouling so much and switches, uh, which is where their fouls really were problematic. But like you said, when you switch as much as Florida does, you get those matchups. Uh, so, you know, I think some of that. But I'm with you. I, I thought, like I said, I thought the, the bigger problems with referees were actually in the second half. Um, but that's also where uh, Florida, you, you know, really – fought their way to control of the basketball game. Um, it took a while, but, you know, the Gators, it, it didn't ever feel like it was really getting away from Florida uh, to me. And a couple big reasons for that, I thought, were obviously Trey Mann and, and Colin Castleton. But I wanted to start with the play of Anthony Derugia because, you know, I heard uh, Clark Kellogg said he watched Florida. You heard him say he thought it was the best he'd seen 
uh, Deruji. And I thought, let's go to the, the Anthony Deruji hype man expert, Eric Fawcett, for your take on uh, this Anthony Deruji performance. He only had three rebounds, and it felt like eight. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I think against Kentucky, the first game where he had like 15 and, and hit a couple threes, like maybe that would be uh, a, a slightly better one. Or, or I think against LSU, he was somewhere in that range. So I don't know if it was the best I saw from from Deruji. I think you'd also like a couple of those dunk attempts back that might have sure. might have put that into um, into that range. But uh, uh, again, it's just great to see that. Um, when when Florida is playing against the the most athletic teams, they're going to see that sometimes Drugi still looks like the most athletic player out there. Um, it's definitely great to see that chemistry he's got with Tyree Appleby as a, as a lob thrower to to Drugi finishing. Uh, but I also loved like. Uh, like obviously, I love when he just catches lobs. That's fun to see. That's great. Sit behind the defense and and sit in the dunker spot. And as soon as help rotates over, he's wide open. But I, I did really like to see him cutting from from the middle of the floor, catching it near the free throw line, and 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 finishing like like those kinds of plays. That's just a, a little bit more dynamic and and something I just like to see from him because again, I think that the way Florida probably wants to play is to have their their player who's the four sitting on the perimeter as much as. Um, Last couple of weeks, they've they've played a little bit more with that that second power or that second big, the power forward on the block. I think they'd like to have someone sitting on the outside a little bit more, and um, if he can cut and then come off curls, catch it near the free throw line, take one dribble, and then dunk on someone, that's that's going to be the best of Daruji. Is uh, and I, I hope we get to we get to see that. But um, but again, I, I think he really limited his time. Uh, you know, for a guy who dunked, I'd say. I'd say he limited his time in the air, but I, I mean more defensively. I just didn't see him trying to trying to block shots out of his area. I didn't see him trying to block a bunch of three pointers and, and leaving his feet. I just thought he was a lot more a lot more responsible. And um, again, if for for Florida, if they if they do want to play those uh, that zone, which uh, ultimately ended up working, I think a lot of it was the fact that uh, that Daruji had that kind of recovery speed and and length to make it happen. Yeah, they've got the, the coaches have made this emphasis of shot selection in press conferences, in post game press conferences, um, and I think to your your points on defense are really well taken. I also thought he played within himself offensively. There were a couple times I think where earlier in the season, Anthony Deruji would have been real tempted on a ball rotation to launch a a three pointer. And instead, he either made the pass or elected to, to go attack the basket and then make a pass. You know, he doesn't attempt a three. Florida only attempts 15 threes. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to find many three-pointers that were bad shot selections by the Gators in this game. I thought um, that it was interesting that Mike White actually sat Scotty Lewis after one, which – I thought like kind of objectively was a pretty good three pointer. It came off an Appleby uh, penetration and Appleby kick. But I think Mike, based on just what the TV camera sticking to Mike a little longer as Scotty came trudging off the court, uh, I think Mike White really wanted Scotty Lewis to attack the basket there and not launch a three that hit the side of the backboard. But otherwise, good <laughs> shot selection. And some of it was Anthony DeRuji, I think playing within himself, which is what we want offensively from him. 
Yeah, well, it's just talking Scotty Lewis first. I mean, I was a little bit surprised to see he got pulled after that one because you know early in the game he had the the Noah Lot come I off the it. pick and roll. Well, he had that he came off the pick and roll and and yeah, like these are the funniest air balls to me. Like I'm not not trying to laugh at Scotty Lewis air balls, which are unfortunately a thing. <laughs> but you know when like the ball when a shooter goes and and rises up and then all the all the players in the paint like the big men they go to like box out and find a body and they're down in a stance trying to sit on someone else's leg and and just find a body and then like two like you know just a split second after the ball left Scotty Lewis's hands everyone knew it was going to be an air ball and like every post <laughs> player just like relaxed and slowly stood up and i mean again that's um it, it, it's it, i've got to say it's, it's very interesting like I know we're still talking to Anthony Deruji here, which I did like his shot selection a lot more, like you mentioned. And and, and something for him actually is, so he's hitting 30, 36% of his catch and shoot attempts, which is obviously not like Noah locked here, but it's not, you know, it's not, not bad. Um, but, uh, but for him, it's really that those, you know, those shots off the dribble that, that have been a lot rougher. So, so that, that's good. But it, it is interesting to see that shot selection is, is starting to be something they pull for because, you know, when we were having our state of the program type, podcast yeah ago, you know i had mentioned that i didn't think that florida had a culture where shot selection mattered and um obviously that has now changed at the time i 100 believe it there's i believe or you know i stand behind what i said i, I think sure. that there's enough sample size that um that it shows but you know it's true i mean there just has not been much talk about shot selection the last couple of years at least in the media maybe in practices but you know if they talk about it in practices and we don't see it at all in games i would suggest you don't have a culture of good shot selection uh or it mattering um but it's clear that it is now something that that matters that matters to the program so um for someone like me who loves analytics and loves winning basketball i do think that shot selection needs to matter greatly so uh It'll be interesting. I mean, I I think what I I agree with you, Neil, on the on the one that he did get pulled after. That like that is a, that is objectively a good shot. I don't think you can. Right. I, I mean, I shouldn't say you can't argue otherwise. I mean, I guess someone did, but but I think there had to have been something something more um, to that. Um, had to have been right. But, but that but shot selection does seem to be getting a little bit a little bit better. Um, you know, still eyeing up a lot of floater attempts. Still eyeing up a lot of these uh you know jumpers off the dribble coming off a. Uh, pick and roll for guys that maybe shouldn't be doing that. You know, we'll see how that, we'll see how that progresses. Then maybe that's a next year thing. But uh, uh, I, I've got to say, Neil, I, one thing about Scotty Lewis, uh, we might be getting ahead of ourselves here, but there were some of those moments at the, the end of the game where it was, you know, Florida needed a stop, whether it was Kentucky had the ball in the half court and called a timeout. And uh, Scotty Lewis was not on the floor. They went, they went Trey Mann, Noah Locke, Tyree Appleby, um, you know, Deruji and, um, and Castleton, uh, for you know, for possessions that were like pure defensive possessions, did you find that to be uh, to be interesting? I, I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about Scotty Lewis's defense, but uh, to see Tyree Appleby and uh, and Noah Locke out there and um, playing a little smaller perimeter, what did, what did you think of that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I was actually going to ask you about that, um, and and if you saw any of the shots of Scotty Lewis, like it looked like it was really bothering him. Um, when the camera panned over him, of course, Scotty is a competitor that, that wants to win. And you could tell he really wanted to be out there to get those, those stops. And, and he was not, and the staff had made that decision. And the other interesting decision that you can expound on that if you want, but I think you're absolutely right. The other interesting thing that's happening to me is I think, um, you know, a few games ago, we both had kind of wondered, what the deal was with the 32, 33 minutes for Noah Locke all the time. 
and it's gone 28, 27, 23 in the last three games. That is interesting. I, I hadn't actually, you know, consciously consciously noticed that. So I'm glad you pointed that out because that was something that, yeah, we, we thought was pretty interesting and was maybe a little bit much. Um, it, like the, the thing that, that, you know, at first half like strikes me is like, uh, so like Scotty Lewis is like not a great th- uh, free throw shooter. He's like 73%, but not awful. And, uh, you know, Noah Locke is someone who I think he's shooting 75 this, this season, but he's like, you know, career, not a very good free throw shooter. He's somewhere in that range as well. So like if, if someone w- were to make the argument that it was like, Oh, they wanted to get the stop and then they knew a foul was coming. So they want free throw shooters out there. Like, y- you know, you get it. That, that would be maybe an argument for Tyree Appleby, but like, you, you need to stop first. Like that's something that I like some coaches like say that like I'm in that like for me personally, if if there's a timeout and the other and the other team is coming out and inbounding in the half court and you need to stop like you need to put your best defensive lineup out there. Like I'm not like I'm not thinking about the next play of inbounding the ball and getting fouled. I like you need to do whatever you can to get a stop. So to have Tyree Appleby out there and to have Noah Locke out there in, in place of Scotty Lewis, because that would be, you know, one of those guys would be coming out for Scotty Lewis. I, I, I think that they truly thought their best opportunity to defend was, was to not have Scotty Lewis on the floor there. Uh, I think that that's, that's very interesting. And yeah, it's good to see that Scotty Lewis was upset about that. I mean, he's someone who came into college, like, I, like, I don't know what his confidence level was in his offensive game. I'd have to assume it wasn't particularly high. I mean, he probably knew a little bit about where his offensive game was at, but he had a lot of, a lot of confidence in his defensive game, just the way he talked about it, the way he talked about defense. He had a lot of, he had a lot of pride in that side of the game. And if you've got most of your basketball pride in, in that identity as a defensive stopper, like, yeah, that's got to kill you to be playing Kentucky in rep. Your team needs a stop and they're putting out a six foot one guard in, in place of you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's gotta be, it's got to hurt, especially coming off a game where, you know, you had five steals. Uh, and, and that's still, like, the way that they go about things. That's interesting. Uh, but, but, you know, I, again, I think you, you're looking at putting out fielding combinations in March where, uh, you know, what what's going to be your best path to winning basketball? Florida only had seven players play double-digit minutes. Uh, Omer Payne almost got there. Um, but, you know, a shorter bench, uh, we could – Touch on Samson Resensev's minutes if you want. You know, certainly wish he would have hit the wide open three that he missed, but um, you know, it it, it did go in and out. I guess so. You know, uh, not going to be too hard on him, but I thought he played some productive minutes. Uh, probably the best we've seen from him from a defensive standpoint. Uh, so that was good and encouraging. If he's going to play ten minutes, he's got to defend. Um, the guy that was super impressive that we had been concerned about to me, Eric, was Colin Castleton. Uh, just really good fundamental defense with his footwork, uh, just and and then offensively, just did such a nice job passing um, the ball, um, especially when Kentucky brought help. Uh, I also thought Florida's cuts um, when Kentucky brought help were way better um, towards the post than we've seen recently, um, at least in past games. That's not a very high bar though, but very good uh, passing from from Colin uh, and it certainly influenced Florida's ability to come back in the first half. Uh, yeah. And Rusensev, all I can say is uh, I, I, I'm sure that like him playing more minutes was a direct result of the zone because it was as soon as they yeah. went into the, the three, two or whatever, it was a little bit more of a matchup zone, but they kind of started that alignment. They need that length up top. And uh, 
it was kind of Samson Rusensev instead of Scotty Lewis. And obviously Rusensev is a little bit longer. Uh, but uh, yeah, that definitely uh, uh, definitely shows that whatever they were doing in practice, Rusensev probably looked good in it. And that's what he got out there. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's someone who I think can shoot the ball super well. So would definitely have loved to have seen him hit that open one, like you said. But uh, if he can be on the floor defensively and not, not hurting you like he maybe was earlier in the season, that's... That's progress. And yeah, I did think Colin Castleton uh, looked pretty good offensively, had some big buckets. Um, I did think he got absolutely manhandled when it came to rebounding. And like there was a couple of times yeah. where, you know, he got absolutely tossed to the side and just swam through and sealed in like one swift motion. I was just like, oh my goodness, who is that monster that just did that to him? And then it was like, you know, 205 pound Isaiah Jackson. So I was like a little bit concerned concerned by that i i did think he <laughs> again like maybe maybe that's his ankle a little bit i mean i i yeah he's he's it's been kind of like hit and miss with castleton from like a strength standpoint against some matchups like some matchups he looks like he's the one who's just you know physically imposing and then there's some that have not been the case such as the first game against kentucky and yeah there was times where he was just locked in it with it with isaiah jackson who is smaller and isaiah jackson just like let put his hips into him and just carved him out of the paint. And there, there was actually a bunch where um, it was actually very lucky because it was on, uh, on the weak side, a three was coming up and Isaiah Jackson just like moved, pinned, sealed Colin Castleton perfectly. Like you just could not offensively rebound any better, but then the ball just didn't bounce there. And I thought that Florida got quite lucky, but uh, oh, yeah, definitely a little bit concerned with, with that. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if they look at that stuff in film, but that's like one of the things that in film is, gets big men exposed sometimes when you look at their their boxing out when uh when the ball doesn't actually land there and maybe a post player is like oh good like you know it was inconsequential but then you see it on film and uh that doesn't lie so we'll see if that comes up but uh still it's like con castleton a very reliable offensive player for the gators right now to for him to have the four assists for him to go five for seven that's uh you know, hit some key free throws as well that's awesome that he's a center that can really comfortably hit free throws uh yeah i just i feel very like I feel very secure with Colin Castleton out there. Like he's just a, he's a, he's a responsible five man who does a little bit of everything you want. So uh, yeah, very, still, still, still very happy with that, with his play. Yeah, no, I mean, look uh, also Isaiah Jackson is freakishly quick. And so, you know, I think sometimes you're going to lose a positional battle with him because he can get into position uh, in ways that a lot of bigs that Colin Castleton's going to deal with aren't, necessarily going to be able to do um so you know that's but i'm with you yeah certainly uh some fortunate bounces at times sort of guards did a great job of of getting down and digging down and rebounding uh again a trey man leads the game and rebounds florida actually out rebounds kentucky which is um you know you can count on a couple hands how many times that's happened since i've watched a florida play kentucky in basketball um the Florida won the rebounding battle by two, um, you know, and and some of that was the eight rebounds from uh, from Trey Mann. What what else is there to say about him at this point? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me right now is that he just seems so comfortable. Uh, he is just letting things kind of let the letting the game come to him. He doesn't force things. Uh, Eric, you know, last year he would come in and he would take a shot or uh, force a drive. Um, and then if it didn't go well, he'd hang his head a little bit. His body language would kind of stink. And, you know, that could affect him a whole game. 
there's none of that right now. It's just a player that's that's really in master of control of of what's going on out there, and uh, obviously sensational um, today. We record on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think for him, it's it's definitely some confidence that comes from like the fact that he has been like a pretty consistent score. Like I honestly thought that there was going to be a game like, and this is maybe him coming out of high school. Even I thought this, I I thought there was a game where he was going to hit nine threes and 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 score thirty five or forty points a game. Like I, I kind of thought he was going to be a pretty explosive score. But then when you look at you just look at his kind of you know game by game, it's a lot of like. 13 points, 17 points, 15 points, 21 points, like pretty, you know, pretty even production from him. He hasn't been like, like what you think of with most players that are jump shooters off the dribble. You you probably think there's going to be a little bit more inconsistency, but for, for him, it's like even games where he was quiet in the first half, he scores a bunch in the second or uh, the games where he doesn't score quite as much. He has a few more assists or a big rebounding games. So I, I think for him at this point, he, you know, if he starts a game a little bit slow, I think he knows. He's like, hey, I played some good basketball teams and put up some really good halves and ended up with some some really good box scores. And, and you know, we've won some games because of it. So so I think that's big. And and again, I thought something was really interesting that I, I think a lot of people see him as a, as a scorer first. But, you know, Mike White said in his press conference the other day just that, uh, that Trey Mann is someone who's very unselfish and just a naturally unselfish person. And I, I thought one thing that was awesome was like the, the way that Florida kind of was playing their offense was one of their two guards was, was bringing up the floor and getting a side ball screen early in the uh, that was their early offense kind of like a pistol action like you see in the, the NBA or like a zoom a dribble handoff into a ball screen on the side and and again that was like the the first thing that was happening in, in Florida's offense and there was a, a couple times where Colin Castleton the, the ball went through Florida's hoop Colin Castleton inbounded the ball to Trey Mann and he's coming at the left side of the floor and before he reaches half he throws it over to Tyree Appleby on the other side of the floor and which might just look like normal, but in Florida's offense, that's like, Hey, Tyree Appleby, you are, you are taking the first ball screen. You are initiating offense. Like it did show a very unselfish side of Trey Mann, And there was one that I love that he did that. And then, uh, Tyree Appleby goes and attacks the pick and roll and then gets into the paint and hooks a pass to, to Trey Mann who, who hits a three pointer. And it was kind of nice because it was like Trey Mann, who I think everyone kind of wants being the number one guy for Florida offensively. He's very unselfish and not unselfish in a way like, like I find it funny sometimes where like unselfishness is a player who like maybe could shoot a three pointer and then he like throws a flashy alley-oop and it's like oh what an unselfish player but like real unselfishness like, and, and again like you know that is some form of unselfishness but really like unselfishness is throwing the ball from your side of the floor to Tyree Appleby on the opposite side of the floor before half saying that like hey I like you're you're gonna you're gonna quarterback this possession not me like that's true unselfishness and then uh there was uh there was one play that just really sticks out where it's uh it definitely paid off for the Gators where uh Appleby uh found Trey Mann for three yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, those are all good points, and that's that's kind of what man has done is is really, you know, he picks his spots. He doesn't, like I said, he's just doing a wonderful job at not forcing things. And I think you're right. I think a lot of that comes down to just uh, confidence, uh, you know, obviously. And then when his team really needs him, um, he he stepped up. I mean, tonight, you know, to hit the shot that he hit on the baseline which he creates up the bounce, but to actually make that shot. I mean, a year ago, forget about it, but, but this one uh, goes in and, and, you know, obviously a big difference, but let's talk about that last minute. Um, after that Florida's down 63, 62 with, with three and a half minutes to go and their defense 
wins the day. Kentucky scores only four points the rest of the way. Uh, but the man jumper puts Florida up four. Isaiah Jackson then cuts the lead uh, to 67-65. But, um, you know, I thought Florida, let's start there. Uh, the last 45 seconds, you know, I thought, uh, uh, you know, let's let's talk about Florida's possession. Um, good spacing by the Gators, I thought, and then Appleby attacks and has his shot block. Did you let's let's ask? Did you have any problems with the play that they ran, and did you think maybe there was contact or a missed foul or just good defense by Kentucky? Uh, I I probably thought it was. Uh just some pretty good defense. Um, yeah. Probably uh, agree <laughs> again, like, again, like that's maybe one of them where I, uh, I maybe would have taken a little bit I, I, again, just for, for Tyree Alvey, so many other kind of points of the uh, uh, for so many other points of the game to pass up layups that I probably thought he should have taken for him to try to make a pass. I, I maybe would have, uh, would have wanted, uh, would have wanted something else from him, uh, on that possession. So, uh, I'll, I'll say that's, I'll say that's good defense for, uh, for Kentucky. All right. Fair enough. Um, and yeah, I mean, I thought it was good defense. I didn't have any problem with what Tyree Appleby did. Right. Um, you know, I thought Florida spaced it pretty well and, and Kentucky made a play. Then Kentucky comes down and, and I thought Florida played really terrific defense. Uh, including one switch, um, and then uh, they forced Kentucky to call a timeout. And out of the timeout, uh, Devin Askew gets the ball, passes it to uh, Saar, and you know I thought that they kind of rushed a three-pointer, but that was the secondary option, Eric, because the first action was a, a little roll-and-release play, and Trey Mann just did a spectacular job of, of tracing the release. And then when they did pass the ball to Sar, um, you know, Colin Castleton wasn't asleep at the wheel. <laughs> no, uh, yes, I, I'm. I'm just still thinking. I know you mentioned it earlier, but uh, yeah, of course, the uh, the Osayo Sifo play where uh, uh, it got dumped him, and I think he just saw his eyes got big, and he saw the rim before he saw the ball into into his hands. But uh, yeah, <laughs> again, it's just uh, it's it's something that. Uh, it's it's hard too because again we whenever we talk about Colin Castleton and, and him being so him being so good, um, I feel like it kind of sometimes comes at the expense of of Kerry Blackshear, um, unfortunately. But uh, but again, there are there are just times where I, I do feel like he just uh, his feel for the game and just his ability to to make those kinds of uh, of reads are, are maybe a little bit uh, maybe a little bit stronger. So um, yeah, just a, just a really good individual play from from Colin Castleton to to make the right read. I would say. Yeah, no, it was good. And I did I did want to shout out Man because I thought tracing the release and forcing Askew to go to Sar, which I think was supposed to be option two on the play, was was really terrific defense. Um, and then Tyree Appleby, who had five turnovers in the second half, uh, had some nice moments, but obviously the five turnovers in the second half drove uh, Gator Twitter a little crazy. <laughs> but to have the mental toughness to just hit the two free throws and then the the Keontae Johnson blowing the uh, the ball in on the first one of the one and one. Uh, I'm telling you, that was that was not uh, anything but Keontae's uh, willing that one in from the bench. No, I'm kidding. Um, or am I? No. <laughs> uh, I mean that was that was good. And then uh, Florida again does a nice job to to 
get a stop and, and Trey man uh, ices the game. Um, but, but that was uh, your, you know, your thoughts on, on how Florida closed because that had been such a big question for this basketball team over the last few weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the play right after where Florida, uh, I just, it just kind of cracked me up because, because again, we know that John Calipari wants to run his team. Like it's the NBA. And uh, <laughs> after those Tyree Appleby free throws, they ran hammer, which is like a play that everyone runs to try to get a late game three in the NBA. It's like, uh, on one side, it's a dribble handoff for a player to drive down the baseline. And then meanwhile, on the other side of the floor, there's a, there's like a, 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 like a flare screen for a shooter to run to the corner. And uh, I forget who it was on Kentucky, but they just like completely screened the wrong player. And that's why Tyree Appleby was able to go and just like punch that ball into the second row um, was just because uh, uh, I think it was, it was, I think it was Olivier Saar, which I like Saar, yeah. man. I, I really thought he was going to be better, but yeah, he was supposed to screen Tyree Appleby. He just didn't. So, so Tyree Appleby was all over it. But anyways, it was just like, let's see Kentucky run the play that um, if I was watching the NBA, I wouldn't, know with like 50% certainty that's what the NBA an NBA team would run um but then yeah Tyree Apple makes a makes a play reads it well and probably should have been screened but he wasn't but he he did the right thing so uh yeah I thought that was pretty interesting and then of course um thought to uh I I just uh you know as, as I think back and 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 watch it's just uh, again the fact that uh the fact that it was uh, the the lineup that they they chose to put out there and um that they trusted Tyree Apple be defensively um it's got to, got to be pretty interesting. But again, like there's been so much made about Florida's kind of lack of ability to close these types of games out. But when you look at the final final two minutes, it, it went about as good as possible for Florida, really. Yeah, I mean, look, they were losing by a point with 3.30 to go, like I said, 3.35. <laughs> um, so, you know, they end up winning a game that they're trailing at the final under at the final media timeout. Uh, on the road at a place where the program had won 11 times in 63 tries. Uh, entering this this game. Florida's win guaranteed that Kentucky would finish with a losing record at Rupp Arena for the first time since the building opened. Uh, so some fun facts there. And um, it's also Kentucky's – it will be Kentucky's first losing season at home in Lexington, Rupp Arena or any other building, Memorial Gym being their other home uh, since 1926 and 1927. So um, – just some fun stuff. Pretty normal year in the bluegrass state. <laughs> yes. uh, big one. Big one for the Gators. Snaps a five-game losing streak for, for Mike White against Kentucky, too. Well, and, like, so many of those games were games that obviously last year with Florida kind of blowing both of them. I mean, not to, like, I guess, you know, blowing them to to some extent, I, I guess. You know, there's yeah. different connotations with, like, it's not like they had a, whatever, 10-point lead with, a minute left, but it maybe felt like getting one of them. So, so again, I think like, again, when you look at the fact that, that Florida probably thinks that they should have won both of those games last, last year, uh, for them to, to just hold on and take care of business and have an ending that wasn't particularly dramatic. Like they just out executed for the last 90 seconds. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's gotta feel, it's gotta feel really good, especially. And again, like as much as I don't ever want, you know, the Gators to like play not to lose, like, Man, to get swept by this Kentucky team would have been would have been rough. There's no question. Yeah, it would have hurt. It would have stung pretty bad. I, I'm with you. Um, anything else before we move on to senior night in the Odo? No, I think we're ready to, to move on to that one. All right, so let's talk senior night in the Odo. Um, 
And I think, you know, the first thing to say is that Missouri has lost four to five uh, after getting all the way to the top 10. I think this will be the third time on the podcast because I know where Eric's going to go first, um, where Eric mentions that analytics maybe have not loved this Missouri team as much as the media. Um, so let's start there. This is the oldest team in the SEC, one of the oldest teams in the country. Um, they returned their top seven scorers from last year. Uh, they have a graduate senior. They have four regular seniors and four juniors. So these guys have been through the stuff, as they say. And, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to be too phased by a social distance capacity senior night in Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of conversation has to start there because I don't think there's any team that has as much of a discrepancy in, like, the AP poll slash people's perception and, and analytics. I mean, they've been in the top 25 for a number of weeks. Um, there's not, it's not like they've just had like a quick cup of coffee. They, they got up to, I don't know what they, like they were up to, you know, the, the, yeah, they're up to, which is like, they were never anywhere near that in any analytics. And right now they're, they're 47th in the net 47th in Ken Palm. Uh, that's where most, that's where where most uh, most of the the predictive metrics have them. So th- there just seems to be yeah just a just a huge discrepancy uh, between between the what the perception the AP poll and and what the numbers say. And uh, again, the the thing that's funny about it with with Missouri is it's not a situation where they had a bunch of games canceled and they have like a weird sample size that can kind of skew the metrics. It's like no, they've they've played twenty one games this year. They've played. A lot of SEC games. They played some good teams in, in the non-conference. Uh, they did beat Illinois, which is something that's certainly making a, you, you know that that win is aging nicely. But yeah, I just I I just not I'm not I and even personally I'm not totally sure how good I think they are. But um, I definitely side more on the the metric side than uh, uh, on the metric side than the the AP slash general perception of them. Um, I do not think they are anywhere near a top twenty five team personally and and again i think that so often teams get stuck in like um you know well you see this in in preseason polls with media all the time or you know coaches polls too but but particularly college basketball media they say oh the team's bringing everyone back so that so they're going to be better uh they're going to be you know really good because yeah they're they're bringing back all these guys and it's like i don't know like I, i think that that works when you bring back like teams that had a lot of freshmen that get a year older like those are the teams that usually make big steps but when you bring back like mediocre juniors and they become seniors it's like not often they just get a whole lot better and i kind of feel that way with uh with missouri they have a lot of decent players but a lot of these guys were like decent juniors who are now decent decent seniors and that's kind of my feel of the roster yeah look i mean i think i agree to a large extent let me let me say this and and i'm not gonna uh steal the Matt Norlander thunder on it. I'll just give him the credit for pointing this out. The one thing I think that being this old has given Missouri is that they do find ways to win games. Uh, they are, they are a mentally tough group. And when games are close, they have fared fairly well this season. Um, and they, and as a result, they have some nice scalps. I mean, they beat Oregon who I think is the best team in the conference of champions, uh, mostly because they have Chris Duarte, who's awesome. Um, but they, they did win against them, and, and uh, despite, you know, it really actually did a really nice job on Duarte. Um, like you said, they uh, beat Illinois, who 
uh, is very good. Uh, Jeremiah Tillman, probably one of the only grown men in America who can deal with the thunder that Illinois brings in the paint. Um, and then uh, they beat Alabama, um, which hasn't been the easiest task for for everybody this season. So I think, you know, when you look at things that way, they also have a win at Wichita State, who has been uh, kind of a pleasant surprise this season, Eric. Um, so I think, you know, there is that. Uh, they also lost – these are seniors that lost a lot of games. So maybe in losing all those games, they started to figure out what – it takes to win them. They saw what it is. Um, they kind of go for as much as, and they did lose the two games when Jeremiah Tillman was out due to a tragedy in his family. So two of the four of the five that they lost were without him. But to me, they still kind of go as Xavier Pinson goes, um, Eric. And, you know, what I would say about Xavier Pinson is he's a guy who really started to emerge like last February ish. Um, and, you know, I saw he scored in double figures in 12 of Missouri's 15 final final 15 games last year. So got good in league play and then has been good at times this season. Um, you know, your thoughts on Pinson, who's who's a, a, a kind of physical 6'2". Uh, well, this is uh, this would be one of my concerns from a Florida standpoint is that uh, Missouri runs a whole lot of pick and rolls and they're they're really good at it. Uh, I think that, that p- part of that is is Jeremiah Tillman, just a fantastic big. Um, actually, I have to make one note on Jeremiah Tillman. Like, I, this is my like SEC bias, but I do think that the SEC is just like generally underrated, and I think the Big Twelve is always overrated. And one my, my one of my favorite points this moment was like. Jeremiah Tillman had like eight points against Kentucky, nine points against Alabama, six points against Ole Miss, and then he had 33 points against TCU. And I know TCU is not very good, but it was one of those points where I'm just like, we're playing a different caliber of basketball in the SEC here when uh, the Big 12 SEC challenge rolls around and, and some of these guys like Jeremiah Tillman just eat. But but anyway, <laughs> Jeremiah Tillman, um, one one reason why their, their pick and roll is, is so good because they can hit – um, hit Tillman on the short roll. They can, and he can make passes. They can hit him with a deep seal, and he can finish. He can pick and pop a little bit. But uh, the player who delivers him the ball um, on each one of those plays is uh, who you mentioned, Xavier Pinson. And uh, again, I think people think of pick and roll guards, and they think of like you know little tiny guys or like um, maybe like bigger guys in the like Trey Man or like you know Andrew Nemhard kind of size, but. Is, is Xavier Pinson, I, I, he doesn't look the part of like pick and roll guard, but man, is he ever a good pick and roll ball handler? Just his ability to, to read defenders. I think that's where like age really comes in. I'm sure his first couple of years of college basketball, he was struggling because he doesn't have a really good first step or doesn't have great size. But now it's just his ability to read defenders for his the, the timing he has for hitting a roll man. I just think he's really good, and and he's one of the one of the better pick and roll players uh, in the SEC. And uh, for Florida, who hasn't always guarded guarded pick and rolls very well, uh, I think Xavier Pinson's gonna gonna play a big role in this one. Yeah, I mean, he went for twenty two points in their win over Oregon. He had seventeen points and seven assists in their win over Illinois. Uh, Eric, and um, you know, I I didn't pull up his numbers in the win over Alabama, but just those two wins there. You see what what happens when he plays well, and I would point out that I, I made the joke about 
Missouri having the girth to deal with Illinois. And like Tillman had three points and fouled out of that game with five fouls in 20 minutes. So like, it wasn't exactly like he could handle that big fella that Illinois has, but uh, you know, it was enough to, to keep him in the game. Uh, five fouls in a warm body, I guess um, was, was sufficient. But the other guy that, that really does a lot of their scoring and is a real dangerous shooter I think the only real dangerous shooter they have is Mark Smith. Yeah, Mark Smith. Uh, that's that's could probably got to be it. And again, that's just one of the the big problems with them. Thirty one point six percent from the three point line. Um, that's uh, that's pretty rough. Or wait, I think I might have my Smiths messed up. Which which Smith did you say? So yeah, I said Mark. <laughs> okay, Mark. Did I mean I, Drew Smith? I, th- I think you might have meant Drew Smith. That's but, who I uh, meant. But you said Mark Smith. But of course, Mark that's going to be the problem. Yeah, because of course we have the the law firm of Smith, Smith, and Smith between Mitchell Smith, Mark Smith, and Drew Smith. But Drew yeah. Smith is, I think, our our, our shooter. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark Smith, I think, has been a little bit a little bit worse from. Uh, but but yes, Drew Smith, um, one of the uh, one of the only guys that's uh, that's a bit of a threat, and uh, which. Uh, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that again for Florida, who just went to try to keep Kentucky out of the paint at all costs, willing to give up some open shots. I mean, they could really get, like if they like the zone, and it seems like Mike White did. I just I don't know why they wouldn't throw it out against um, uh, against Missouri here, and and Drew Smith would be the guy that you just have to be worried about. So again, and Drew Smith, like his numbers are, are pretty decent, but you look at some of his uh, some of his other metrics in terms of like, does he shoot off movement? Like not particularly. Um, does he shoot? Um, does he does he hit shots well when guarded? No, not really. Uh, so something that's pretty incredible that I pulled up. So, okay, there's two two incredible stats um, from Missouri that I uh, that I found that I just found just, just hilarious. So the, the first one um, uh, was on Xavier Pinson. He is the worst transition score by efficiency um, in the country, which I thought is hilarious. He's at 0.56 points per possession, which is like ridiculous that a ball handler and c- could be that bad, but poor Xavier Pinson, um, someone who is uh, yeah, just not someone who can, can score particularly well in transition. Missouri does not look to push it. So that was one crazy stat that I found just kind of doing my rounds. Uh, the other one is drew Smith. He shoots 57% on, on um, uncontested catch and shoots. So wow. he's been just pretty much automatic from wide open. Um, but he's shooting only 27% uh, when guarded. So, so overall, I think he's like at 38%. So he's definitely, definitely has good numbers, but what's happened is he's been pretty selective. He doesn't have a lot of attempts, so he's going to take the open ones and he's going to hit them. But I, I, I don't think he's someone who's going to, you know, shoot the ball eight or nine times that, that Florida is going to have to be. Or, and again, it's not like he's someone who runs off screens or, or anything like that. So, it's someone that you know Florida has to be aware of as, as the only threat, but it's not like they're going to run anything for him. So if Florida can stay in that zone, but but maybe shadow him a little bit, it could be a good way to play defense. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I did mean Drew Smith, although Mark Smith shoots uh, more three-pointers than Drew Smith. Okay. Mark Smith ha- uh, has 105 attempts. Uh, so he's, he's definitely going to heave it a little more. He's one of their guys that went through the draft process too. Um, you know, so that just tells you how many people go through the draft process. No, I'm kidding. That's not nice. Um, no, uh, you know, Mark Smith does some good things, just not as complete a player as Drew Smith, who, by the way, last year um, was a guy who who led them uh, in free throw rate, led them in steals, led them in scoring. Uh, and to edge Jeremiah Tillman in free throw rate tells you that, like, 
Drew Smith is kind of a crafty little player. So he, he's also this year he's not, but um, not, well, he's still crafty, but he's not leading them in free throw rate. That's uh, Tillman that is leading them in that statistic this season, Eric. But uh, Drew Smith does get to the line a lot. It's another thing that, that has helped them improve their offense, which last season ranked 127th in Kim Palm efficiency, 302nd in three-point shooting. Um, this year they're still pretty bad at three-point shooting. They're 270th, but they're all the way up to 43rd uh, in Kim Palm efficiency, which tells you what? tells you that they shoot a lot of free throws and they do a pretty good job of getting to the basket because uh, they got guys that can get north-south, which has been a problem for who this season? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, could definitely pose some problems for for the Gators, and and again, I think that's uh, uh, Jeremiah Tillman, like as strong, just physically strong, a front court player as 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 Florida is going to see, and um, and, and again, I think that uh, Jeremiah Tillman also is someone who's a very good passer. I think so. Uh, Florida is going to send double teams. Um, that that could be rough. He could get picked apart a little bit. So so there's there's definitely some moments. There's definitely some matchup things here that that I think that Florida uh, could be in a little bit of uh, a little bit of trouble for. There's no question. Yeah. No. I mean, there's a reason that uh, that it hasn't always gone super great for the Gators um, when they've played this group. Of course, everybody remembers last year when um, Missouri decided that would be their one game where when they sh- were 302nd in the country and in uh, shooting that uh, three pointers that they would um, go 10 of what were they? Oh, sorry. 12 of 19 last year from deep. Oh. So just, just terrific. Um, Drew Smith last year and Mark Smith uh, combined to go five for nine from deep. If you add Xavier Pence into that group, they were six of 11. Uh, and keep in mind that, that, that Florida played them um, on a DNP for, for Tillman last season. So, and still just got wiped. Uh, so, you know, uh, I think maybe that'll have Florida's attention. Maybe the fact that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to say senior night has Florida's attention um, because Florida doesn't have any seniors. Yeah. I was, I was not thinking what is, what is senior like, what does senior night look like this year? Like what, what, what what's going to happen? <laughs> Do we give Trey man a Jersey? Like, you know, oh. like, can train it? Can like Albert, if you're listening, man, like, can you press Mike to like get out there to mid court and wave at the fans? No, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Re- releases yeah. his uh, declaring for the draft video on the on like an on court yeah. projection. No, uh, exactly. just just drop your like, thank you, Gator Nation draft video. And let's enjoy the ride here. Um, no, I mean, so who else on this team really frightens you from a scoring standpoint before we get into to what they do defensively? A scoring standpoint? I mean, ugh, I, we kind of talk about her. Yeah, I mean, Kobe Brown is, has been a little bit explosive, like a pretty interesting kind of like six foot seven and, and, and really like really thick, like someone who is like I, I think when he plays a lot of fours he he has the like he has some uh like something i saw in like in ken palm he which again i think that this player that i'm about to compare him to is is much much better than kobe brown but but kind of like Mel, melvin edgem from from iowa state from a few years back where again just like kind of like undersized but handles the ball a little bit uh he just like single-handedly well 
not I was going to say dominated Georgia, but Georgia beat them. But he was the one player that looked pretty good. And again, he's not really like a main piece, but in that game, he kind of came alive and can score on the hoop. And uh, again, maybe a little bit like uh, what's his name from uh, from Arkansas, Justin Smith, that kind of a uh, uh, power forward, that kind of size. Like the, I, I can see Kobe Brown being a guy who like like again, he might have like two points, but he also has a little bit of uh, a little bit of explosion to him. And and again, if if Florida is going to keep playing, well, they, they kind of have to keep playing Anthony Drugi at the four and and Osayo Sifo. It's like well, if Kobe Brown's there, he's going to have. Um, he's going to have a quicker first step than Osayo Sifo, and he's going to be probably stronger than than Anthony Deruji. So, uh, yeah, definitely some some potential for some some matchup problems there too. Give us the scout on Mizzou from a defensive standpoint. Obviously, certainly a team that that was doing pretty well in in defensive metrics, I guess, earlier in the year, and and part of what's been holding them back as the season has gone on is that they, they aren't as good defensively as you normally think a Kwanzaa Martin team might be. Yeah. I just like, like they're so, they're such like a stocky team. Like it's just lo- looking at all their players. They're all just like, again, I said, Kobe Brown's like six, seven and two forty, and like Mark Smith's <laughs> six, five and two twenty, and Javon Pickett's, 65220 and Xavier Pinson's kind of stubby and Drew Smith's kind of like stocky like they're just like a stocky team which again like <laughs> when you think about like lateral movement like the fire hydrant type physique of some of these players is just like not exactly what you're what you're looking for and again like Jeremiah Tillman uh really good in, in some roles like but again is like a 260 pound center it's like if a team is putting drew smith who's pretty slow footed and 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 jeremiah tillman in, in pick and roll it's just it's been a little bit of a tough recipe i think i think you can get them in rotation they don't have a lot of size on the perimeter um or a lot of length on the perimeter i should say uh, they got plenty of beef, but not a lot of length. So they can get shoot. They can, you know, you can shoot over the top of them. But uh, again, something about Quanzo Martin. And I think this will be definitely nice, uh, nice scout for, uh, for Florida on, on, a, you know, the shorter, shorter rest is, is they play hundred percent man defense. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to get just straight man from, from Quanzo Martin. He's not going to do anything different. Um, but, uh, and they're, they're also a team that, um, that when guarding um, pick and rolls, uh, they're, they're going to drop them a little bit. They're going to try to deny ball reversal to kind of uh, simplify those plays and, and, and just kind of keep, keep the ball in the, in the middle of the floor where, uh, uh, where they're not taking, not, not allowing you to hit wide open shooters. Um, I would just say like everything they do is kind of like conservative defensively and like, uh, for, for Florida, who kind of got goaded into some uh, some a lot of floaters, mid range jump shots. I mean, this will be an interesting one from a from a shot selection standpoint, and if there is quick pulls, because I think Missouri is gonna again they're they're just they're not athletic enough, they're not dynamic enough defensively to really be that disruptive or uh, or really dictate uh, the the terms of engagement defensively. Like they've got to be a little bit more conservative, just because they they don't have great athletes. So so Florida should know exactly what to prepare for because yeah they they play conservative man defense and uh, we'll see what they can do with it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up that zone is like it's so funny because we started the show and we're like I don't know if they want to carry this zone over. Yeah, true. Game. But then then you're like you look at Missouri and and you look at how Ole Miss has just absolutely dismantled them with Kermit Davis's three two zone and you're kind of like eh, maybe this is maybe Florida will stay in that at least some uh, in the next game and and just see if they can can make Missouri replicate their bombs away. 
uh, accomplishment in in Columbia last year. Yeah, I would I would say that's fair. And uh, uh, again, I I just think uh, you, you probably don't want to get into a uh, you probably don't want to get into a position where. Uh, where you're letting some of these stockier guards just like get Noah Locke and Tyree Appleby on their hip and, and go all the way to the rim. Uh, that's just, uh, there's just not as big of a need for it when they lack so much shooting, especially like Drew Smith is a guy who will run a good amount of pick and rolls. I would say Pinson's uh, someone who's probably, probably their, their more primary pick and roll initiator. But again, if Drew Smith has the ball in his hands, then like instantly everyone around them on the, like that, that, that drops their three point percentage just, just so much because like, they want Drew Smith to be the guy that catches and shoots. They don't want him being the one who passes to players to to catch and shoot. So, uh, I, I, and again, like I, I would just say, like this is one where, you know, we can talk about zoning and and p- kind of like packing things into the paint. But at the at at the same time, I, I also wonder. It's like, hey, can you challenge these these guys that are not super long or athletic? Like, can you challenge them to try to finish over top of Trey Mann, even if if he's guarding? one-on-one and uh, do you want to just like maybe see if if Colin Castleton can show some of that like recovery shot blocking and uh, yeah I'll, I'll be really interested to see what they do because I have that that is funny that I said no don't keep playing the zone and then I said oh maybe they want to play the zone definitely a little bit of uh, a little bit of me uh, changing my mind a little bit there but uh, again against a team that doesn't have great athletes in, in Missouri I think you can kind of do do a lot of things. So this is uh this is our chance to just, I guess, really see what, what Florida wants to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and, and, you know, a lot of it, like you said, is just dictated on scout. I mean, it's not so much like this is a lethal defense that Florida's going to take into March madness with them, but uh, certainly might be good enough to get, get another quality win for the Gators on uh Wednesday night. Yeah. And, uh, I would say uh, it's going to be interesting too. just like, I, I, again, we don't talk too much about motivation or effort here, but, but Missouri is a team that with so many seniors, like I, I, you know, maybe these guys will be back. I should, I, I guess with the extra year of eligibility, I, I don't know what their recruiting class looks like. They, they've got so many seniors, like the, the, this is going to be the team that's going to be weird with like roster spots for, for players that want to come back and use their eligibility. But, uh, but again, like uh, you look at the, look at bracketology, uh, there's going to be some, some kind of like, wider ranging views of, of Missouri because of their weird resume. But uh, right now they're well below the Gators in the net and they could really use a win over a team that's higher than net, like, uh, like Florida. So especially on the road. So uh, I thought that there was definitely a, a March. Well, we both thought that there was a, there was a good March feel to, uh, to the game against Kentucky. I'm expecting that, uh, that same atmosphere when, uh, when Missouri comes. Yeah. I mean, I think both of Florida's games this week have taken on that kind of interesting appeal. Um, I, I do think, Every team, including Florida, I guess that's three teams that that the little round robin that Florida has this week. Um, you know, all those teams are safely in the NCAA tournament, Eric. I think there's Missouri not really at risk of falling out of the field at this point, um, barring, you know, something weird. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're playing for seed lines, especially Missouri has a real chance to get a, a big-time win. If you're Tennessee – uh, coming back next Sunday, that's a chance to stop the bleeding, uh, you know. And and I think, you know, as much as we've lamented Jimmy Dykes on the uh, on the show at times, I did think uh, Jimmy Dykes kind of nailed his analysis of Tennessee today when I caught a little bit of his, uh, of course, broadcasting another game. He was talking about Tennessee, so patented Dykes, but um, 
he, he was wondering who on Tennessee's team was going to step up and be like, enough is enough. You know, like it's time to get going now. And I'm not sure that Tennessee scores well enough to like really be able to do that, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about that game. But it, it speaks to your point that, you know, it's March. So our will be the next time we record a show. And so these games are super meaningful and you know, what motivation does, do the Tigers have? Meanwhile, for the Gators, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Like Mike White said, we want to build off this win. We want to build off of it. Uh, we're thrilled that we beat a program like Kentucky on the road. Obviously, that's not something that we do a lot around here, just looking at some of the White comments. But he said, you know, we want to go home and take care of business and make sure that, you know, we don't play until Friday at the SEC tournament. Um, so, you know, Florida should be motivated as well. Yeah, I, I think for Florida too, like the even throughout the Mike White era, and I'm not saying this is like a Mike White thing. It's just, we'll just, you know, for the, the last couple of years, Florida has kind of really like sputtered into the end of the season and postseason play. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a couple of years back, they lose to Georgia, to LSU, then then Kentucky. Luckily, they played good enough in the, the SEC tournament to like get in as a 10 seed. But yeah, just kind of like sputtered into postseason play. And then, uh, you know, even the, the year they went to the Elite Eight, it was like, you know, lose to Kentucky, you know, beat Arkansas. And then they lost to, to Vanderbilt twice in a row. Like, yeah. and it, like it's just like they've kind of not, really seem to have played best basketball at the end of the season. And like, as much as like we can talk seed lines and, and stuff like that, it's like Florida just wants to be playing there like, like above anything else. Uh, because like, again, I don't think there's a huge difference between a six or a seven seed or obviously an eight or a nine seed. You're going to end up the same place if you win that one. But uh, uh, I, I think Florida just more than anything wants to be playing their best basketball right now, or not right now in, 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 in two weeks. So yeah obviously seed line bumps that's that would be awesome but uh yeah florida just just can't afford to not play well they they want to build on it and just just play their play their best basketball and go in with whatever seed they get and uh and play from there that's both the the sec tournament and the ncaa tournament but uh uh yeah, definitely, definitely going to be definitely going to be interesting here with a Missouri team that we're not totally sure how good they are, and then uh, then a Tennessee team which we're not very good, sure how how good they are. But uh, hey, it's like this this is this is fun, man. I mean, I just uh, we uh, at the start of the season we knew we'd just get excited for for every game, and and down the stretch each game matters. So so it just makes uh makes it much more fun to write about, much more fun to podcast about, much more fun to watch. It's uh. It's a uh, it's good good time to be uh, to be cheering on the Gators as much as uh, as much as negativity may lie in in, in some areas. It's uh, I, I'm looking forward to these. Yeah, so am I, Eric, and I always look forward to podcasting with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, where you catch all his stuff. Um, we will be back after the Gators and Mizzou preview the season finale up in Knoxville. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>